Welcome again to a pastor and his people. Uh, this is Pastor Dave Kane, pastor of the Park Baptist Church. This is a podcast of the church to help us get to know one another better and help us learn how we can more uh, glorify the Lord with our lives. So today I'm, I'm here with Keith and Sharon Doster. Hello, guys. Hi. How you guys doing? Pretty good. Better than we des- deserve. Uh, amen. <laughs> well, let me just uh, start off the bat. How did you guys meet and how did you come to know the Lord? We met at Columbia Bible College in 1862. <laughs> just before the close of the Civil War. Um, I went there after high school, a, a year after high school. Sharon attended there a year after she graduated from high school. We're the same age and uh, had all the same classes together. And, in 75. In 1975. <laughs> and uh, we were both planning to marry other people when we, when we got to college. And the Lord uh, obviously led us in another direction. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, how did you become Christians? Well, by the grace of God, of course. <laughs> um, I was, uh, I, I told somebody just a couple of days ago that I think it was one of the things that the Lord used to uh, drive me towards the cross was evolution. And uh, the more the more I thought about it, the more... I realized that if it was true, then life is futile. There's no, there's no reason for living. There's no, no one to answer to. It doesn't matter how you live. Uh, you live a certain number of years, possibly in great discomfort and pain. You might, you might die a gruesome death, and for what? Uh, you die and you get buried and you're gone and nobody cares. And I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom that. But then on the other hand, I thought, well, if, if even half of the Bible is true, I'm in serious trouble. Uh, I knew that I was a sinner, and uh, um, I had heard growing up in the Bible Belt, many, many times I had heard uh, sermons about heaven, certainly, but also about hell, and about judgment, and about the need for repentance. And uh, so I, I knew uh, that... If that was true, if the gospel was true, then uh, I was in deep trouble. Uh, a girl invited me to a Bible study when I was in high school. Um, <clears throat> after telling her I would attend the study three times and not attending, uh, she accused me of being a liar, which I was. <laughs> and uh, then uh, I finally made it to that Bible study, and her mother explained the gospel to me. And um, I, I didn't really understand it at first. Um, I mean, I understood the words, but one thing that she said to me was, uh, she led me in a sinner's prayer. You know, uh, Lord, forgive me. I know that I've sinned, and, and you know, a, a typical sort of evangelistic Billy Graham sort of prayer to accept Jesus. And. Uh, when she said amen, I said amen, and I waited for it to happen, thinking that it was probably, at that time, I, you know, I, I thought, well, maybe I would speak in tongues, um, or maybe, you know, I would levitate off the floor, or something, something would have to happen in order for me to to get saved, and nothing happened. I, I didn't feel any change whatsoever, no chills, no lightning, no bright lights, nothing. And so I just thought, well, it didn't work. 
This is, I just made a fool out of myself. And so then she said to me, because she realized that I was disappointed, um, she said, Keith, do you believe what you just prayed? And I said, well, I, I want to. I want to believe that, you know, confessing my sins to the Lord, asking him to forgive me, um, that it had actually had an effect, but I didn't feel anything. And so she said, Keith, if you believe what you just prayed, you're a Christian right now. And I was, I was with her. I understood everything she said until she said the words right now. Because obviously right now, nothing had, nothing had transpired as far as I could tell. And it took about two weeks before I realized what she was saying. That when we believe the gospel, when we exercise faith, when we believe that what Christ has done on the cross was the work that he did for me, for my sake, rather than me having to do some, some kind of work in order to earn it, then the light came on. Then I understood the gospel. And uh, as the hymn says, then the burden of my heart rolled away. Amen. How about you, Ms. Sharon? Um, I was raised in a Christian home, and I heard the gospel for years. We went to church faithfully. I attended Christian camp, and so I knew the gospel. I knew that Jesus died on the cross. <clears throat> when I was five years old, I asked Jesus into my heart, um, not from any pressure, um, not because my parents wanted me to, but I knew that that's what I had to do. But it wasn't until I was 15 and I was attending a camp, a summer camp, that I was, that I understood the gospel really for the first time um, because I realized that Jesus died for me. He didn't, it wasn't just Jesus died on the cross to save sinners, but he died for me personally. And I knew that I did not have the relationship with him that I thought I had. There was no, um, there was no real conviction. There was no real love. There was no um, following after Christ until that time when I was 15. And so I... I told the Lord that I was sorry for my sins. I told him that I wanted to follow him and live for him forever. And he worked in my heart to give me a love for him, to give me a love for his word and for his people. Um, and I believe that is when I was truly saved, when I understood that Jesus died for me. I believed that my sins were forgiven, that God could accept me because of what Jesus did. Amen. Well, you after uh, finishing uh, Columbia Bible College, you kind of felt called to kind of work in more of a rural community, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, kind of going into full-time ministry. Um, why? Right? Why do you want to go to a rural, rural area? And then where did you go? And tell us about that experience. Well, we didn't immediately want to do that. Um, initially, we had a desire to become Bible translators. Uh, we had hoped to work with Wycliffe somewhere where where the gospel had not been published. Um, 
But because of the uh, illnesses of our two children, we had two children that were became very, very ill and uh, eventually died. Our first daughter died when she was around six, and their second daughter died when she was around three. Um, but it was during that time that Wycliffe actually uh, encouraged us to stay here in the States because of the medical needs that our children had. So, so that, was, that was our initial desire. So, you know, by the time we, we got through those years, um, I just felt we were then in our 30s, and I just really didn't want to go learn a new language at that point. Um, I never finished Bible college, never got a degree. So that was a bit of a hindrance. And then someone we, we wanted to be in full-time ministry in some capacity. But it, as far as I was concerned, it, it needed to be in English, not in Swahili. <laughs> uh, and someone suggested uh, a ministry called Village Missions. Uh, it's a home mission board that provides pastors to rural churches that are dying um, and that can't really afford a pastor. And so the mission pays a large part of the, the uh, missionary pastor's salary in the hopes that uh, with, a, with some new blood being infused, that the church will begin to grow and prosper. And so we were sent in 1992 by Village Missions to a little village called Pennsylvania Furnace. And the name of the church was the Nittany Bible Church, and I pastored there for seven years. Uh, well, I'm going to maybe kind of go back a second and, you know, you're talking about your children and kind of having uh, your two of your kiddos having uh, kind of severe sickness uh, and then, of course, um, uh, passing away. Maybe you want to just talk a little bit more about specifically what kind of sickness that they have and how did you process that sickness and just how did you, you know, deal with, how did you grieve uh, their passing? Well, we still don't know what they had. I mean... There were all kinds of tests run. Um, we took both daughters. They they died within 14 months of each other. Um, but we we went to Duke University. The pediatric neurologist said we have no idea what it is, and you know so we just had to deal with this. Um, our oldest daughter became sick when she was two and a half, and she was almost seven when she died. Um, our second daughter, our third child, became sick when she was six months old and died when she was almost three. And she did improve. So it was very similar, but our second daughter, we thought, would come around to being, uh, you know, able to uh, not be as physically... Um, dependent or disabled as our first daughter. But the Lord took them both. And it was, for me, I think it was, well, I don't know. I was going to say I think the first daughter dying was the hardest. But I think what happened was that I resented people saying, well, you know, everything works together for good for those who love God. And you can always have another child. 
and you know things that were said by people who really didn't understand the situation had never been through something like this and I just I I wanted to say I know the Bible verses I know that this is true but just cry with me just just sit here and give me a hug just help me through this when our our second child died I think because the Lord had brought us through that I was able to accept um, people's love and concern even if it was a little bit misguided or you know not exactly what I needed to hear um, I knew that they loved me and the Lord just brought us through it we heard story after story of um, couples who split up got divorced because of something happening to their child and we just Praise the Lord that he brought us closer together. Um, we, we cried on each other's shoulders during that time, and he was faithful to bring us through it. Yeah, it was, um, those were the worst experiences of my life. Um, the, when, when Joy, our first daughter, became ill, this was in 1981, the end of 1980. Um, she she woke up and she, she couldn't see. By the end of the day, she couldn't hear and she couldn't talk. But I was convinced that the Lord was going to heal her, that there was going to be a miraculous healing, that... that we were going to go to all the doctors. All the doctors were going to say, throw up their hands and say, we don't know what it is and, and we can't help you. And when the last doctor did that, I thought, okay, now, now that everybody has said there's nothing we can do, now it's time for the Lord to step in and show everybody what he can do. And I fully expected him to do that. I felt like I had enough faith uh, to believe him for that sort of a miracle. And so I waited and waited and waited and waited for six months until finally it became clear to me that uh, the Lord was not going to heal her. Um, and I had a real crisis. And I, I don't want this to sound... Um, I, I don't want this to sound uh, disrespectful or... But... I went to the corner store one night to get a gallon of milk. I came back, parked the car in the garage, turned out the lights, and sat in the dark. And uh, I started talking to the Lord out loud. And uh, I said, uh, you're not going to heal her, are you? And I expected an answer. And I, I don't know how this works. I didn't hear a voice, but he said to me, no, I'm not going to. Now what? Now, what are you going to do? And I said, uh, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do because I was angry. I said, uh, my daughter's worse than dead. Uh, she's severely brain damaged. Nobody can help her but you. If she died, I could deal with that. Uh, if you healed her miraculously, I could certainly deal with that, but I cannot deal with her 
right at the precipice, right at the edge of death, and you stop and you say, this is as far as we're going and I'm not going to heal her. I can't, I can't deal with that and I hate you. Which is something I never thought I would ever, ever say to the Lord. You know, I felt like I was more like Peter. You know, I'll never forsake you. And when I said, I mean, and, and I'm saying it out loud because I'm so angry and I want to make sure that the Lord knows how I feel about this thing. And I told him I hated him. And he said, now we can talk. And he preached at me for a few minutes. And he said, you think that you deserve for me to heal your daughter. You think that I owe this to you. And I don't owe you anything. You owe me everything. And I knew he was right. And it, it, it dawned on me, I mean, he had, he had forgiven all my sins. That I belonged to him. That I, he had granted me eternal life. He had done for me what no one else could do for me. I was, I was going to hell, and he saved me. And now I'm going to demand that he heal my daughter? Uh, who did I think I was? And he, he made it known to me in those few moments just how self-righteous I really was. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't recognize that I thought that God owed me this healing of my daughter because I was such a great guy. I mean, I went to church every time the doors were open. I taught Sunday school. I, I went to Bible college for crying out loud. I read my Bible. I pray. I married a Christian girl. I mean, you couldn't find a better Christian than me. And so it was time for God to scratch my back because I'd been scratching his for so long. And it was a rude spiritual awakening, but one that I have obviously never forgotten. In, in, in all the things that you dealt with, uh, with the passing of your children, we always hear that the Lord sustains us. Um, and it's obviously He sustained you. In what particular ways uh, did the Lord sustain you during that season? He gave me a good wife. Um, um, when I was... I had a full-time job. And so I wasn't at home... For 50 hours out of the week or more and Sharon was home taking care of a very very disabled child and then two children um, so she she had to lean hard on me uh, we, we leaned on our church but it seemed as though whenever one of us was just beyond going anymore that the other one would we would prop each other up I would cry on her shoulder and she she would be strong and then when she was weak I, the Lord gave me the grace to be strong to for her and, and uh, we just uh, we mourned together we supported each other it, it really did 
I think it in a lot of ways it solidified our marriage because we had a common uh, hurt, hurt, mm-hmm. common pain, a common ordeal, trial. If uh, if someone is kind of going through a trial right now, right, and they're listening to this, you know, whether it's maybe specifically with a sick child or just a trial in general, what, what word would you uh, give to them to find hope in the midst of, of their darkness? God is good. He is always good. Even when we can't see it. Um, I think... I think I would encourage those listening who have not gone through something like this to walk beside people who are hurting. There was a lady, a dear lady in our church, that would um, watch our oldest daughter, Joy, every Sunday night so that Keith and I could be in church together. Um, Nobody wants to babysit a severely brain-damaged child. It's just, it's uncomfortable, but Liz was remarkable. Mm -hmm. There was another man that lived across the street from us, and he would come over every once in a while and just sit and cry with us, especially Keith. Um, He said to me once, he said, you know, I'm I'm a seminary student. I'm supposed to have all the answers. And he said, I don't, know what, I don't know what to tell you, but I love you. And he would sit there and cry with Keith and then get up and give him a hug and go back home. Mm-hmm. So the people who are going through a very, very difficult time need someone to walk beside them and just say, I love you, and remind them that God is good. I would encourage those, those of you who are listening, would, would uh, follow that advice and uh, understand that you're not alone uh, in mm-hmm. this battle, uh, to reach out for help. And uh, as we've been talking through on uh, Sunday morning services, that give us eyes to see those who are hurting and, and to walk with them. Uh, well, there's much more to discuss, so we're going to take this as part one of our podcast with the Dosters, uh, and then we will uh, pick up uh, again here in a moment. Uh, let me just offer a brief word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for sustaining uh, Keith and Sharon through the loss of their daughters and all the other trials you've brought them through. We thank you that they recognize that that you are good in the midst of pain. So, Father, I pray that you would help uh, that belief uh, permeate our church and um, our our community, that people would know that you are good uh, even when they struggle. So, Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) 